It's time for Tales of Terror, only on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that children under the age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult. Chapter 8. While You Were Out Dear Diary, No one will ever use the phrase, the silence of death, after hearing the roar of a herd rolling across a clearing the size of a football field. Shortly after reaching the roof, I passed out from pain and loss of blood, but I remember sounds and images around me like from the dreams of total exhaustion, where the sensations of the world are there, alive around you, but you know you're asleep. There's no way you could be witnessing such things. Eventually, much of what I thought I'd seen turned out to be worse in the context of the soldiers protecting me were dealing with. This chapter is based on my hazy memories linked to those of the men who saved my life. I was the only civilian to escape the bus. I learned later from my sergeant that I was the only reason they kept on fighting. Maybe he was only speaking for himself. I don't know. I'd like to think that they had others to drive them on. I'd hate to think that those men had no one else left in the world to inspire them to fight. I don't feel proud or special about that. In fact, I feel I carry their burden of survival on my shoulders. Losing every one of the people inside their bus was a difficult defeat in an already traumatic and lost war. I cannot imagine being in their position and committing themselves to protecting all these people when they could have walked away and made their way home, or at least somewhere safer. To give of themselves this way and then lose their assets, as my sergeant called it, that was a crippling blow to men like this. The growing sense of hopelessness in the endless crush of the herd made focusing on the mission of escaping even harder. But after a moment to catch their breath and make sure I was still alive and uninfected, they all went back to work. The roof of the bus rippled and swelled as more and more eaters crushed in from two sides toward a center. Every so often, they heard the sound of window glass breaking outward into the herd around us. The bus became so heavy and packed it actually stopped shaking. Of course, it also sank an inch or two on its suspension, meaning the tallest of the eaters could touch the roof with the tips of their shredded, bony fingers. That's when, in the words of my sergeant, shit got real. Each soldier reported the status of his ammo and weapon, and they briefly talked exit strategy. The plan, according to my sergeant, was that if they lost all the civilians in their care and there was no hope of getting off that bus, they would pull the pins on their last grenades and leap into the herd. My sergeant had thought on it long and hard. He got them to agree to give him their last grenades. He volunteered to jump into the bus so that the explosion would turn the bus into a bomb. A pipe bomb made of metal, glass, diesel fuel, and splintered bone. 
And then, according to my sergeant, some dumbass from the middle bus decided to send up a parachute flare and light up the surrounding road. They sent up a field illumination flare, or FIF, to see if there were any gaps, any path the bus could navigate through the herd to get to us. At the same time, the intense glow of the magnesium light suspended from a parachute lit up an area the size of a football stadium and gave the first terrible look at the sheer size of the herd. Drawn by the smell of our blood and the sweat and maybe even our fear, they came in wave upon wave. Woodstock numbers, one soldier said, not dozens or hundreds, but thousands converging on our convoy from all directions. When one of the soldiers stopped to reload, five eaters could advance to hold ground or even take some, supported by the rows pushing in from behind. When they fell, they fell straight down or were pushed aside and stepped on by the next, then the next. After a while, the pile of bodies created by relentless gunfire became a ramp. At some point, a general infantryman, the tall thin soldier, stopped firing and watched the FIF rocking back and forth on its chute slipped down below the tops of the surrounding trees. My sergeant saw him lower his weapon and, as he put it, fade away as the basketball-sized firework landed in a cluster of eaters about fifty yards behind the bus. They both watched the light die as eaters began to burn and smoke. My sergeant called him Stretch. He couldn't remember his real name, unit, or anything other than the fact he was lanky and awkward and insanely brave until the size of the advancing army caused him to snap. He stood there at the rear of the bus, staring down into the mass of eaters fighting over the smeared and shredded remains of the passengers who tried to escape. Without any hesitation, Stretch unsnapped his hip holster, pulled out his nine-millimeter sidearm, and shot himself in the temple. His body toppled over and down into the herd where it was immediately swarmed and devoured. After the last of the flare's light faded and the herd stomped over the smoldering remains, there was still the sweet stink of rotten meat, musk, and mold. And as the soldiers resumed firing into the crowd, the eaters continued piling up around us. One soldier called, I'm out, and started using the metal butt of his rifle to smash any face or scalp that rose above the roof line of the bus. The rest turned their attention to the front, where the first ranks of eaters were crawling up over the windshield like ants swarming over a chocolate bar. <sighs> I'll try to work on a better simile later. Someone on the second bus fired another flare, this time without a chute and low, across the herd. At first, my sergeant thought the shooter screwed up his shot or was tossed off balance, but as the flare tore through the herd, it spit out white-hot metal catching dried cloth and flesh on fire before sinking into a gap. It burned so hot that the eaters around it looked like glowing skeletons shaking and twitching as the super-hot metal broiled and melted them. As the eaters burned, 
Those nearest the flames and glowing metal tried to shove or claw or even climb over the other eaters to get away, shifting the weight of the herd just enough to take the pressure off the front of the second bus in our convoy. It pressed forward through a thin spot in the herd, picking up enough momentum to drive its armored grill through ribs and skulls and spinal columns. The soldiers on its roof held on for dear life as the bus rocked violently and pulled up alongside us. They called over to us, telling the soldiers to get ready to abandon the bus. Razor wire and iron plates scraped across each other, catching and grinding up the bodies caught between them as the driver swiped the left side of the bus. The pile of bodies rose so high that the bus could only push a few feet alongside before the driver had to make a hard turn to keep from getting stuck. Even then, the bus kept moving, slowly, to keep up the momentum. The soldiers had been prepared for the hit, but the eaters on the hood were not. Most of them toppled over and out of sight. My sergeant made sure I was lifted over first. I was followed by the two remaining soldiers as the bus rolled forward. Slowing down made the force of the herd an issue again. It was a short distance, maybe fifty yards, to the start of a sharp incline and the edge of the herd's central mass. The sides of the bus looked as though it drove through a river of reddish-brown and deep gray-black paint— with splashes and sprays of gore up over the armor plates. Without a scent to drive them, eaters are like water. They follow gravity along the path of least resistance. They tend to wander downhill and southbound, which means that the largest herds will turn valleys into livestock chutes. Once we crested the nearest hill, we broke through the herd. Sometimes eaters follow noise, but... They mostly follow scent. The smell of bus exhaust helped hide ours as we got to the other side of the hill and out of the herd completely. Unfortunately, the real truth of the matter is that we were no longer an easy feed. Far behind us, the last bus in the convoy remained. Stuck on the road, without power and out of ammunition. Once on the other side, a grim-faced lieutenant called in another gap band. Two minutes later, the valley behind us lit up brighter than the FIF, and the world shuddered, then burned. There are a number of things that we can all do to help stop the spread of the coronavirus and protect ourselves and our families. One is simply to clean your hands often. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds, especially after you've been in a public place or after blowing your nose, coughing, or sneezing. If you don't have access to soap and water, then make sure you use a hand sanitizer with at least 60% alcohol. And finally, avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth with unwashed hands. These are some simple things that we can all do to help protect ourselves and our families 
from the spread of coronavirus. Be well, everybody.